This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Now, here's Dr. Gloria. Welcome to the Grief Relief Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my co-host and daughter. Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, Heidi. Hi, Mom. Hi. How are you? Good. We've got a we got a great guest today and a topic that you and I are very interested in and that's on spiritual dimensions of loss and on uh kind of the professional community and and how the community deals with it. Um so Heidi, why don't you talk a little bit about it and introduce our guest? Okay, like you said, Mom, we're gonna talk about spiritual dimensions today. And our guest is going to be a psychologist and his name is Dr. George Harold Jennings. And Dr. George Harold has experienced numerous spiritual events throughout his life, uh, most recently in reliving the physical death of his sister, and through this experience connecting spiritually with his mother. As a psychologist, George believes the mainstream members of his discipline should be more readily open to exploring the spiritual dimensions of being human. He is the author of Passages Beyond the Gate, and he is also a professor of clinical psychology at Drew University, and he works in their counseling center as well. Welcome to the show, George Harold. Well, thank you very much. I'm very honored to uh, be a part of the show. Well, it, it is, as I said, an honor to have you on. And a person who's thought in such depth about the spiritual experiences and events and how the professional community, the uh, psychiatric community and the psychologists and, you know, and social workers and psychiatrists and how the whole mental health community has kind of uh, cut out a bit of the spirituality, looking towards more the medical model and looking towards more scientifically-based information, measurable, I guess. Heidi, isn't that what we said, measurable? George Harold, my mom and I were talking about this last night, and I'm an adjunct professor at Columbia, and, you know, everybody's constantly talking about evidence-based practice. How do we measure things? And how are they measurable and keeping everything very measurable? So that's why we were so interested in talking with you today, because you talk about how we need to bring in the spiritual aspects more, and and my mom and I agree with you. Well, thank you. Um, You know, psychology has been described as a loose federation of sub-disciplines in some circles, and um, different things are going on in psychology, even though in many ways... Um, they are related, or at least we would like to think they are related and can, uh, will be related in the future. But with some aspects of psychology moving in the direction of, um, you know, uh, quantification is important, so you have to be able to show, as you said, evidence-based um, uh, situations over and over and over again. Uh, some things are very difficult to provide that kind of evidence for. Uh, um, for example, you know, we can't really measure consciousness. We don't even know what consciousness is. We we are struggling with this uh, across different disciplines. But yet, consciousness may, as some have argued, is the bottom line. It's the ground of being of all being. It's the, it's what creates reality. Um, and psychology has to deal with consciousness. So the 
things that go on in psychology um, are such that uh, psychology can declare itself as a science, but it's also a discipline that uh, has philosophical components to it, um, and in some cases, even metaphysical components to it. You know, one of the things I uh, I get concerned about, and having worked in a in a hospital setting, um, is the fact that a psychiatrist can see, or a psychologist can see four or five people in five hours or four hours, but they can give medication in one hour to four or five people, and so there's a real um, financial aspect of dealing, talking to people. And and teaching them skills, say, say like meditation or whatever, and working with them and talking to them about their experiences. Because Heidi and I, being in the area of grief and loss, many many people have dreams, healing dreams. They have, for better, lack of a better word, visions. They have all sorts of things that go on that I think are spoken less and less of today because of this scientific measurable model and the time it takes to process that kind of information. And I want to say that whether you believe that, say, a a loved one has appeared to a person that you're dealing with or or to you, whether you believe it or not from the point of view of is there another dimension or whatever, if it's healing for them, why would we not use those aspects of their own belief system? I guess the first thing I would want to say, I want to say is um, there are various models, and when a practitioner operates within that model, it's the way he or she was taught. They think it's correct. They think to work outside of it would be, a, you know, problematic. Um, and so there is this medical model, and um, you know, if you're following that model and you believe that um, various um, problems that can occur. Uh, in, in the life of a person, are brain-related, brain anomalies, you know, some kind of biochemical imbalance, and here you have tools that can address that, then why not use them? And if there's um, some indication that they work, then why do anything else? So, um, I, you know, in some ways I'm saying that I believe that people who follow uh, such a model as, a, as the medical model, I do think they're trying to do good work. But they weren't taught about other ways of working with the person. And these other ways can be effective. Um, and like you said, you, you know, you know, someone may tell you they see um, uh, a deceased loved one, whatever. Well, from the medical model, how can they handle that? That must be some kind of hallucination or something going on in the brain. Um, so they, they dismiss it, whereas other people embrace other models, particularly the transpersonal model. They would be more open to the to possibilities that um, not only might that be real, even though we can't necessarily prove it, uh, they're also interested in the impact it would have on the person. Right. Heidi, do you want to log in on this, too? Um, I guess I'm just, I'm thinking about, if I was a student and I came to you and said, okay, I want to learn how to work with people that have had a loss. That's what I'm going to go into. How would, how would you recommend that I best help somebody that just had the death of a child or a sister, et cetera? I will, you know, first of all, you want to give people the opportunity to talk about what, what they are feeling, what are they going through, um, what is the impact it has on their life. 
that could, you know, if you have any number, if you're talking to a student or if you're doing this in a, in a session, uh, that can be a, a lengthy conversation, but it can also be a very helpful and healing one. Uh, of course, if you're in a session, you would want to also be aware of what's associated with those thoughts and feelings. Are they anxious? Are they overly anxious? Are they depressed? Um, and, of course, if a student came to me and I saw that in the student, because I'm not going to have a dual relationship with the student, even though I can see students at the university, I would refer them to a fellow clinician uh, on the counseling center to deal with the anxiety and the depression. But if they're just curious, if they just want to know, um, then I want to talk to them. I want to get a sense of, um, you know, how impactful their experience is on their life. Now, uh, speaking of the impactful experiences, I wondered if you could talk about your own experiences with the physical death of your sister and connecting spiritually with your mother. Can you tell us about that? Sure. You know, uh, uh, my sister had, um, I would like to say, crossed crossed over um, a few days earlier. Um, And I, it was very early in the morning. I know that it was probably around sunrise. And I had this overwhelming sense of anxiety. And I'm not the type of person who normally experience uh, very strong anxiety. I've had my moments like other people, but this was so overwhelming. It was like, what's going on? And I remember saying that to myself. But I also realized I was not fully awake. And yet I wasn't sleeping. And so it was, I now would say, an altered state of consciousness. Um, things are very clear, um, as if I were awake, but I knew I wasn't. Um, and then I had the sense of being uh, a spectator of an event that was unfolding before me. And what unfolded was an, um, my being able to see my sister. Um, and in that experience, in the midst of that experience, I realized that it was not my anxiety that I was experiencing. It was my sister's anxiety. And somehow I had, you know, I, I've, I've long felt that I had empathic abilities. Um, but this, this was such that I um, was, was even surprised that it was happening in the moment because I really felt it. Um, it turned out my sister did cross over as a result of a heart attack. Mm-hmm. A sudden heart attack? Yeah, caught her by surprise. I just wondered how old she was. She was around 64. Um, and it really caught every. I mean, no one expected it. was one truly a sudden heart attack. It so shocked everyone. So um, I'm still in the midst of this experience. And um, I realized that my sister was very anxious. She, and I also saw that she was in, a, in darkness, and she was very worried, nervous. You know, there was a sense, of what's, going, what's, what's going on here? And I'm, I'm witnessing this. I'm experiencing this. Very, it was very, very lucid, very clear. And then um, I turned my head, 
from left to right. She was on the left side of the visual field. I turned to the, to the right, and I saw, I couldn't make them out as individuals, but I knew there were people there, and like a group of people, and it was, they, they were illuminated, not to the point that you could see the details of who they were or what they were wearing or anything like that, but, but you, I knew they were people. And I heard one of them call my sister by a name that very few people um, would call her by. Mm-hmm. Her name, we called her Shirley, but she was actually born Shirley May. Ah. Um, and I remember my mom would call her Shirley May from time to time, and occasionally my dad. Well, someone said, Shirley May, to grab her attention, and she reacted to that. It, it settled her. I felt the anxiety begin to diminish in myself, which mm-hmm. I believe was happening to her. And she started to move towards that light, um, a, group, a group of illuminated people. And, you know, my background is, is Christian. However, I do, uh, I'm very open to the truth of various religions. So, uh, and I had read various religious works um, over the years, but my, but my sister was Christian. And... Through her eyes, I believe, I began to focus on the crowd, and she felt one of the images was Christ. Mm-hmm. And she moved towards that light, and as she got closer and closer, the, the anxiety just totally diminished and went away. And next thing you know, I shifted my consciousness from whatever that state was to Every day, I, I woke up, my eyes opened, right, and I just sat there and I said, "Wow, wow, that was something." Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that was a, a, a what would you call it a healing experience for you? Well, you know, I wouldn't say it was. I I was eager to share it with my family members because. I, I felt it would be a healing experience for them, especially my sister's uh, daughter okay. and her son. For me, my view of people crossing over was is such that um, you know, if I go to a funeral, etc., uh, I will end up crying because of what I pick up other people are feeling. My own belief is that there's life after life. Um, and I try to remind people of this because this is something they are taught to believe. But in those moments, we are missing our loved ones, and we almost forget our, our foundational beliefs. I tend to be the one who just re- who remembers those. My mother had crossed over two years prior to my sister, so I do think that was my mother who called my sister. Surely may. Ah, yeah. That's nice. That's a that's a beautiful story, and um, you know, an, an experience. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. I wanted to ask you why you called your book "Passages Beyond the Gate." Okay, so uh, this is metaphorical. Um, there are lots of theories in psychology uh, about human nature. Uh, I teach the- 
theories of personality, and so uh, I talk about the various theories. So I decided to uh, substitute the word, uh, use the word passages for theories. Ah. So it could be you know, theories. Um, it could be theories beyond the gate, but then what is the gate? The gate is this wall or barrier. Um, in other words, to me, there are theories that are acceptable in psychology, behavioral theories, cognitive behavioral theories, even some humanistic theories, uh, some psychodynamic, psychoanalytic theories. These things are acceptable. But then there's this, you know, they're on the good side of the, of, of the wall, so to speak. Then on the other side are what I call intuitively based or grounded theories, spiritual theories, things that uh, talk about consciousness in ways that um, are about transcendence and extended consciousness, which would even include, that's another way of now talking about um, so-called psychic experiences, etc. Those are on the other side of this barrier, so to speak. And so when I call the passages beyond the gate, basically it's about um, those theories that we um, don't pay a lot of attention to, that we are in denial about, we just don't think are meaningful, that I believe are meaningful because they would help us complete our understanding of what it means to be human when we integrate those theories with what we already know. And one of the major theorists was Carl Jung, right? Well, Jung has some presence in mainstream psychology, in the theory, in personality theories, for example. Uh, his theory does have a transpersonal or spiritual dimension to it. It's not widely taught because it was, you know, many people consider his work difficult to understand, um, and you know, it's not the type of um, idea. He, it does not contain the type of ideas that you can easily test. Um, but he talks about archetype. But of course, we use it tremendously with the Myers Briggs, right? That's sort of how he survives. Yeah, you know? exactly. How do you want to log into this a bit? Because I know you teach uh, some of this work also. I, I love the idea of what George Harold is talking about. And, you know, I teach a grief and loss course. Um, and whenever I talk about spirituality, the students look at me and go, wow, we have never, ever had anybody even bring in that word into the classroom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I really think you have to enter clients' worlds after a loss and ask them, what is your belief? Like we said on the show, what brings you comfort? You know, where do you, where do you think you go after this world? And we have to enter people's world and use their language to help them to find hope again after loss. And it's interesting to me that these students have never, ever discussed it, thought about it, or talked about it. Well, I think um, it's the way psychology is largely taught. It's, it's also it's a sort of a, a attitude, a mindset that many Americans have. Um, in that, if you were to use, to me, if you apply the Jungian typology of the different uh, psychological functions that can dominate consciousness, and he talks about thinking, and they that produces very rational um, people. And he talks about feelings, and that produces uh, people who uh, may be uh, very sensitive when it comes to um, re dealing with relationships. They can deal with them effectively if they're well-developed in that domain. Um, they, and and, and they have strong opinions, and they may um, 
you know, they value things um, and very different from, from a logical thinker. Uh, they might be more affected by the emotions, and a logical thinker would try to uh, repress, suppress emotions. And Jung talked about those two aspects of consciousness, and one can be dominant over the other. Well, well you know, um, George Harold, even when I'm working with people clinically, you know, if I'm working with a very thinking person, I may mm-hmm. ask them how what they think about something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what their thoughts are, and if I'm at, if I'm working with a feeling person, I might ask them how they're feeling about it, well, because it yeah, really that's... opens up communication to use that language, knowing the kind of person they are and how they process information. Exactly, and Jung talked about two other types, which are critical to this discussion: sensors, sensing types, and intuitive intuitive mm-hmm. types, and those sensors. They are, we could say, they're from Missouri. You got they want the proof. They, you know, mm-hmm. it has to be concrete, has to be tangible. They want the evidence. I think that characterizes the American psyche. Um, it, it, you know, it's great for producing, you know, technological wonders. You know, because you're you're right there with reality, so to speak. Intuiting types are the opposite of that. For them, their consciousness sort of moves beyond the concrete and tangible. They deal in the realm of possibilities. Um, you know, when your mom is able to pick up on something and you wonder, how does she know that? Well, she may not even know how she knows it, but she does know it. She has a, 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 you know, a sense of what could be. And, you know, in some ways, America, the American psyche is not, a, you know, one that I would say is highly intuitive. In fact, Passages about uh, Beyond the Gate is a book that argues that we tend to suppress and repress intuition and the types of things that it would uh, produce in terms of a psychology. I really, people who are interested in this topic should get this book, Passages Beyond the Gate, a Jungian approach to understanding American psychology. Um, uh, George, uh, Harold, how do people get a hold of it? How do they find you? Do you have a website? Oh, certainly, you know, the book is available on Amazon.com, BarnesandNobles.com, also the uh, publisher, University Press of America, they have it available. Um, and I'm at Drew University, and um, if you go to the university website, type my name in, you'll find information there about me, and I do have a website. Well, George Harold, thank you so much for being on the show today, and uh, a very, very interesting topic. Well, thank you. It was a joy to be on the show. Thanks, George Harold. Thanks for listening to Grief Relief today. You know, Heidi, um, one of the things that comes up for me, I'll have to say to our audience, is make sure that you, you and your therapy have a good therapist have a good fit if you're doing therapy. And it, if you're a student, make sure you find the right settings that you want to be in. And it's quite a search and uh, a very interesting one. Do you have a thought on it, Hyde? I would just I would just tend to agree with you. And if spirituality is an important part of your life, which it is often after loss, then you need to find a therapist that will explore those avenues in that realm with you and talk about that in the sessions. 
and talk about how you use spirituality to heal, et cetera, and to make meaning out of your loss. And I think for people who aren't in this field, it can be difficult because here you've had a loss and you're trying to find a therapy fit. And your therapist may have a wholly different model than you do. And as George George Harold said, they are good people believing that their model is going to help you. But it may not, you know, you may want somebody that's going to explore uh, religious or um you know, spiritual aspects or whatever. Anyway, um, as Heidi says, don't be afraid to uh, find another therapist, right, Heidi? Absolutely. Keep shopping until you find a good fit. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the show today. God bless. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.